couple of passages of scripture we want to read this morning. First of all, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. I want to read the verses 4 through to the end of verse 13. Philippians chapter 4. Beginning to read at verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 4, where we hear the word of God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then for our text, would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6, and these are the words of our text, beginning to read at verse 6 and reading through to the end of verse 10. And these words will form our text for this morning. Again, we continue to hear God's word. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Thus far the reading of God's word. May God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of his word again this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered with me here in this Thanksgiving morning in Bowmanville. Today is our national day of thanksgiving. And in the minds of many, a day of thanksgiving is intended primarily for those who earn a living tilling the soil. After all, they are the ones who are constantly dependent upon the cooperation of nature, if you will, if they want to see an adequate harvest. And in reality, according to such people who hold these views, Thanksgiving has little to say to those who provide for their families through paychecks or old age security programs and the like. Because after all, those who live and work in the cities 
they are still dependent upon the farmland of the nation to provide their daily bread. And so it would seem logical that we would give thanks on this day of thanksgiving for the harvest of the nation. And although that reasoning is not scriptural, it is true that for the most part, in farming communities where people know what it's like to be dependent on the providence of God and creation, churches are usually much more fully attended on Thanksgiving Day than they are in the cities where the same relationship between creator and creature is not as clearly seen. And consequently, when considering Thanksgiving, some people are convinced that Thanksgiving Day is to be celebrated only when an abundant harvest warrants it. And again, that thinking is logical to an unbeliever. One who does not know or love the Lord finds it absurd to give thanks when, for instance, the crop has failed. I remember well personally standing in a crop that had been totally devastated by a hailstorm by a parishioner who said, am I still to give thanks one who does not know or finds or who loves the Lord finds it absurd to give thanks when, when a crop has failed. The unregenerate man asks, is it not a contradiction to give thanks when there are no crops to harvest? All of that is unbiblical thinking, but it does make a certain logical sense if we believe that the purpose of a day of thanksgiving, if the purpose of a thanksgiving service is to gather together to celebrate crops and harvest. But that, in fact, that position as well, it is an unscriptural concept. But then if we take the position that a particular thanksgiving is celebrated in order to give thanks for all that we have received, then what about perhaps those, even perhaps even among us, who have not prospered in this past year? What about those who perhaps are struggling financially? You know what I mean, people who are suffering financial hardship, what about them? Why would they celebrate Thanksgiving today? Or what about people who presently suffer such heavy burdens of affliction of various kinds? What about people who have seemingly insurmountable burdens or anxieties in their life? What about them? Would they not find it almost impossible to be truly thankful? What then of them? Would we expect them to still be thankful even in those circumst these circumstances or the circumstances they currently find themselves in? Congregation for each of us, regardless of our vocation or our circumstances, it is good and in fact it is commanded of us to gather together to be thankful in all circumstances. For you see, in order to properly celebrate Thanksgiving, in order to be truly thankful, we need to glean, we need to determine the reason for our gratitude, not from our life circumstances, nor from the quality or the size of the harvest. No, we need to glean the, we need to glean the scriptures and we need to determine there in the scriptures, we need to determine the true reason to lift up our hearts in thankfulness. And the words of our text of this morning point us to these things. We find there in Paul's letter to Timothy the contrast of those who know themselves to be rich in Jesus Christ and those who still desire to be rich. And we will discover that there were only two kinds of people in the world, and I often refer that to you in different contexts, but there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who know themselves to be rich and those who are still seeking riches. In fact, 
we will learn that what actually distinguishes those two kinds of people is light and darkness. Those who know Christ know wealth and riches in him. Those who do not know him seek to be rich in themselves. And so I want to minister God's word to you on this Thanksgiving morning, using as my theme, being rich and seeking riches. Being rich and seeking riches. We want to examine those who seek riches, and then we also want to consider those who are rich. Those who seek riches and those who are rich. Congregation, if I was to have advertised in the local newspaper that this morning I would show you how it were possible to become very wealthy, and numbers of churches do do that. We know of the, of the prosperity gospel that was being preached by men like Joel Osteen and several others. But, but, but if, I was to, if I was to advertise that gospel this morning, that, if, that this morning, if you would come to church, I would teach you how you become very rich. If I did that, perhaps it would be safe to assume that perhaps our little building would be filled to capacity rather than uh, half full as it is. Great wealth is assumed to be the source of happiness for many people. Wealth is a word that holds a, a certain magical content for many, and it, it is a word that piques human interest, and that also explains the billions of dollars spent on lottery tickets each year. Tragically, so many, so many, uh, 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 sometimes even Christians, fail to remember God's commandment to be content with their allotment in life, and they seek to increase their worldly possession by unchristian means and avenues. And in a certain sense, we can understand that, especially when we remember that it was part of God's design. We need to capture this. It was part of God's design for man to be materially blessed. It was intended for man to bask in great wealth. Already in creation, we saw Adam and Eve before the fall. We saw them wandering in the garden of perfection and being in possession of all things. Our first parents walked and lived in a garden of bounty and perfection and abundance that was created for them by their creator, and it was intended for them, and consequently it is natural then for men and women to still desire it. However... Men and women often fail to understand that they have lost their right to prosperity because of sin. However, knowing that fallen men and women have not only lost their right to prosperity, but knowing also that the sinful human heart would still seek it, even in illegitimate ways, the Bible adequately deals with man's required posture and attitude towards material blessing. The Bible does not leave us ignorant on the matter. In fact, the scripture gives us a wealth of information as to precisely what our posture has to be as Christians in our attitude and our relationship towards temporal goods and possessions. We are instructed in money matters in the Psalms and Proverbs by the prophets, and we, we even hear Jesus himself addressing the matter in his Sermon on the Mount, and over and over again, we also find God's word on the matter in many places in the letters of Paul, and, and as we now listen to God's word on the matter this morning in the words of our text, we see Paul's wonderful ability to present common everyday things in such a way that it takes on a particular significance for all generations. 
Paul here, if you know your Bible a little bit and if you read the rest of it in its context, maybe you want to do that at home today around your dinner table. But Paul here speaks to Timothy about certain men who have wandered from the truth. They have deceived themselves and they've wandered from the faith because of their love for money. They became obsessed with material things and in, and in the process they lost their love for God. But now these ungodly people of whom Paul writes, they have been dead and gone already for centuries. But God's word on this matter still stands and it is still extremely relevant even today for us. We hear God in, in, in the words of our text instructing men and women of all ages. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. <clears throat> and we need to note carefully that we do not hear Paul pouring contempt on the world, nor does he speak ill of wealth in and of itself. His words are often misquoted as if Paul is saying that money is the root of all evil. That's not what he's saying. Neither does Paul speak ill of the wealthy person. Correctly so. God does not forbid us material prosperity. No, great wealth is a great gift of God. And when acquired honestly, it may be used and appreciated by the Christian with thankfulness to God. Paul here, we note carefully, speaks against the love of money. Paul speaks here about those who have set their heart upon it and, 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 and for, for whom the possession or the increase of material well-being becomes the motivating principle of their lives. That is the concern here being addressed. And we need to note that well. Paul speaks here of those who desire to be rich and he contrasts them with those who know themselves to be already rich in Jesus Christ even though in the eyes of the world, they are paupers. My dear people, God, Paul here has in mind people who always endeavor to have everything for themselves. You know such people. They need so much for themselves. They want the world to know that they actually have so very little and they can spare little or nothing for another. And when they do give, it is done grudgingly and not out of love. They constantly complain they can't afford it, for everything is so expensive, and they are generally malcontents. And all of their living, all of the living is motivated by that one root, the love of their own material possessions. They endeavor to have it, they endeavor to multiply it, to guard it, to hoard it, and they can part with none of it, neither for kingdom causes, nor even for their neighbor, or sometimes not even for their own family. And it's now against that kind of love that Paul urgently warns us here in our text. Listen with me when he prophesies the, the, the destiny of such people. He carefully tells us what will become of such people when he says they will fall into temptations, they will fall into snares, their love of money will drive them to temptations of dishonesty and lovelessness. That now, says Paul, was what had happened to the men of our text. In their desire to be rich, they fell into temptations, and ultimately they lost sight of their most precious possession, their love for God. And that's not unusual 
among sinful men and women. The Bible is full of examples of the same sinful conduct. Scripture gives us examples in order to add, in order to add a vineyard to his already great wealth. Ahab allowed Naboth to be stoned. In order to keep half of the money for themselves, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit of God. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed the Lord. Obviously, then, Paul's warning is legitimate. Paul tells us that such people, being motivated by a, an ungodly spirit, fall into snares. Allow me an illustration to help us in our thinking. When a man goes out to hunt, he baits his traps to lure his intended victims. The animal, the victim, attracted to that which is his desire, enters the trap only to find to his horror his own life is cut off. Cheese is said to be seductive to mice, just as corn is to deer, and is therefore used to lure them into the trap. And as the mouse seizes that which looked so enticing to him, as the deer stops to enjoy his find of grain, as he scoops up his treasured bait, the trap springs, taking his life. His life was lost over a tiny piece of cheese or a handful of grain. And that now is precisely what Paul tells us of those who are motivated by a love or a desire for material goods. They will seek it and they will find it. They will accumulate it. They will treasure it. But ultimately, said Paul, it will entrap them. It will ensnare them and it will choke the very life out of them. Paul wants to teach us here that, that he who in this life has no greater love than his love for things that will need to be left behind on the day of judgment, such people in time will have no room left in their hearts for a desire of the precious things of eternity. Earthly things rather than spiritual things will motivate and ultimately consume them, perhaps for all eternity. My dear people, God, we all know of people who have fallen into that kind of trap, don't we? We see it so often. In their consuming desire to seek riches, certain people begin to wander from the faith and the things of a glorious eternity no longer affect or motivate them in the same way as it appears to have done in the past. The grace and the love of God have lost their significance for them. Only one thing drives them to accumulate earthly well-being and as our text indicates that the danger is that they stray from the faith and pierce themselves with many arrows. They are <coughs> driven into foolish and harmful lusts which will ultimately drown them in destruction. Indeed, says Paul, the love of money is the root of all evil. But I can, I can almost hear you thinking, but Domine, these examples that you cite are examples of unbelievers. And what do you expect from the unregenerate regenerate, regenerate hearts in the world? Surely this warning is not for Christians. Oh, indeed, where God in grace has begun his work of creating new life, he will also bring it to fruition, and the gift of faith will never be completely revoked. However, Paul writes this warning also to believers, to people within the covenant community, for the same temptation confronts them as well. Think with me of David, a man of great wealth. The Lord confronts him after his sin of coveting. And he says, 
David, I have, I have given you everything. I have given you, and if that were not enough, I would have given you even more. And yet David, we all know him to be a dear, precious child of God, and being already blessed beyond compare, still falls. He still sets his heart on possessing that which was not his, Bathsheba. And you know the horrible consequences. Think with me also of Hezekiah, even his great prosperity, one of the most faithful kings in the Old Testament, and yet he joins forces with the ungodly Babylonians in order to increase his own strength. And the end result was that they pierced themselves with many arrows. I do not need to remind you of the horrible consequences of their sin, both of David and Hezekiah. And keeping all of this in mind now, we have gathered here together to celebrate Thanksgiving. And we remember that Thanksgiving is not only for the harvest, no. We stand here, we sit here today to thank God for all the work of our hands, be it on the farm, in the shop, in the home, in the marketplace, in our workplace, or in the schools, or in the church. And God examines our hearts, and God determines the extent and the motivating principle for our thankfulness. In other words, God then also calls us this morning to examine the basis and the motive for our thankfulness. Follow this with me. It is through our daily work that God has granted us another harvest. We worked by the sweat of our brow in our daily work, whatever that work may have been. And the Lord has given. But the question now becomes, why? Or to what end did we work? To rephrase the question in all simplicity, the question is, did we work to provide our daily bread as God ordained? Did we work to glorify and honor God? Did we work and gather at our material blessing in order that we would be better equipped to serve the Lord? Let me ask it in another way. The question now on this Thanksgiving morning for us is this. What is the reason for your Thanksgiving this morning? Are you thankful that God has blessed you in another year in order that you might be better able to finance and further the kingdom of God? Or are you here to thank him that you yourself have been blessed? Essentially, that's the question Paul lays before us this morning. And the principle here taught us is urgent, and I do not want to be misunderstood. The apostle here does not speak against those who are in possession of great wealth. Abraham was wealthy. David was wealthy. God also is not, or Paul is also not talking about those who seek to develop and increase their talents in order to, quote unquote, get ahead in this world. A desire to increase our wealth in order to make life a little more comfortable, that in and of itself is not wrong or sinful. What is identified as sin here is when the motivating principle of our life's work is to improve our own lot, while at the same time we believe that we cannot afford to do the work of the Lord. And if that is the case, says the text, then all of your material blessing will be a curse to you, not a blessing. The apostle here puts his finger in one of the gravest of all dangers. He points out to us a snare that has robbed innumerable people of true earthly joy and happiness, and when not corrected, cost them also 
eternal blessedness. To truly celebrate Thanksgiving Day is to first of all acknowledge that the Lord has given and that the Lord's gifts have any blessing for us only when they are used in the service of the Lord. So how do we then celebrate this day? People have got a Christian has no desire to become richer for he is already rich beyond compare. That's what's given us to know here in verse 6 of our scripture passage. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now we begin to capture the whole picture being addressed here by Paul. Now I think the pieces of the puzzle are beginning to fit together. He wants us to know that the pagans can be known by their pride and their self-centeredness. Everything evolves around them. For the unbeliever, his wealth is his temporal possession. But for the Christian, that's also radically different. The Christian has all that he wants because the Christian has, the Christian has, the Christian has God. Oh, you hear the confession of the child of God in Lord's Day 10 of the Catechism when the Christian, the believing Christian, cries out jubilantly, I am patient in adversity, I am thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future I have good confidence because of, because of my faithful God and Father. The apostle sets this even more clearly before us in the text. We hear it already. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we will carry nothing out of this world. Oh, it is a, it is a fact that is readily understood. But infrequently acknowledged by us. We know that, don't we? We came into this world naked and helpless. And all that we have acquired since has been a gift of God out of sheer undeserved favor, sheer grace, and furthermore, all that we have established here in this world, all of it will need to be left behind when we leave. And even then, isn't it true that oftentimes those few meager earthly possessions which we leave behind cause tensions and friction among those who would inherit them after us, as families are torn apart fighting over those earthly possessions? People of God, think very carefully with me now. Only our possession of Jesus Christ has abiding value. Everything else we will need to leave behind. And when God then gives us that precious gift of faith, and when he then out of his great love for us, sees fit to give us even much more in our undeserving then receive those gifts with great gratitude. Be that the gift of an intelligent mind, a gift of discernment, or even the gift of great wealth. Receive it all with thankfulness, but then use those gifts and use those talents only for the glory of God and for your neighbor's benefit. That's what God requires of you. Do not, says Paul, do not set your heart upon them for it will entrap you and ensnare you, causing you great loss of blessedness, perhaps eternally. Job had understood that. When centuries before these words of Paul were even written, he sat on that dung heap and he cried out, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And if you want to understand even more fully what the apostle would teach us here, take a moment and read carefully the book of Job. Lord willing, if we have time together, I have a series on Job that I'd like to share some of that, 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 that wealth gathered in the book of Job with you. But take some time and read the book of Job, and it'll become very clear to you what the apostle is teaching us here. And it is now through the eyes of our faith that we begin to understand what is given us here to know. Our text continues, having food and clothing with these we will be content. And I grant you that it makes a great deal of difference who speaks such words to us. Uh, what I mean is it can be very painful and hard to accept when someone who himself lives in great prosperity <coughs> approaches us in our material poverty and admonishes us to be content with food and clothing. We can find it offensive. It can even anger us. That's easy for you to say, but, but, but we can find it offensive. But remember now who is speaking these words to Timothy. <coughs> it is the <coughs> same apostle who writes to the church of Philippi, and we read it together. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned to be content in whatever state I am in. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. <coughs> Everywhere in all things, I have learned to be both full and hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, the Lord knew what he was doing when he led Paul to speak these words of our text. Paul, having spent much of his time in prison, knew what it was to, to suffer great need physically, and yet he admonishes us to be content with food and clothing. What else do you need? Food and clothing. And now we have been brought to the proper place to understand. God here points us to the prayer taught us already in our, by our Lord. <coughs> Father, Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Nothing more. Our daily bread. And that now brings us to thanksgiving. How good it is for us to have this day to celebrate thanksgiving and to put it all back into its proper perspective. It is not true that this day has significance only for those who till the soil. True thankfulness is the obligation for all of those who know and love the Lord. You see, according to the text, he who would seek earthly riches cannot truly celebrate thanksgiving, for according to their own hearts, they will never have received sufficient. Contentment will never be theirs, even in great gain, and, and even when he acquires all that he has set his heart upon, sooner or later, he will need to leave it behind for his children to fight over. Oh, those who seek riches will remain poor and will ridicule a day of national thanksgiving. But, but, but when we have been given to see our true riches in Jesus Christ, then all of that becomes so radically different. Then a day of thanksgiving <clears throat> takes on a new meaning. It becomes a day of great joy in which to first of all thank God for that gift of so great a salvation, 
Oh, how infrequently do we stop to consider the significance of that all-encompassing all gift, the gift of life, the gift of life now and forever. It all becomes so commonplace. It becomes so natural. We take it all for granted. But it is only the possession. It is the only possession that we will not have to leave behind when we die. It is the only thing that we can take with us into eternity. For it is that, that precious wealth, that gift of faith, that gift of so great a salvation that determines our eternity. How often we forget that. People, God, we are so often so busy taking care of the things of every day that we no longer truly, fully appreciate what is ours already now. For each of us, even here in Bowmanville, the danger is very real that we are more conscious of the things that we do not have than we are about the things that we already have been given. How wonderful and how blessed it is then that God gives us this day or actually gives us one day each week and then one day each year and calls us to refocus our attention, to put thankfulness and gratitude back into its proper perspective. God calls us this morning to give thanks for what we have received in Jesus Christ. That's the reason for our day of worship and celebrating Thanksgiving. Walk with me now as we tie all of these pieces together and as we bring it home to ourselves. Man is not rich when he lacks Christian contentment and is driven by a need to acquire more. No man is rich, independently wealthy and rich, when he's still able to give and to spare so much of the little that he has. He gives freely, not to be seen of men or to receive praise from the church. No, or not because the church consists that he, he gives a certain share towards the budget of the church. No, he gives willingly and cheerfully. He gives until it hurts because he has seen and tasted of the goodness and the mercy of God. And he is then motivated by a totally different principle. For him, for the Christian, there is great thankfulness because he understands that he deserved nothing else than the consuming fires of hell for all eternity. That's what he deserves. And yet, and yet, he, he has heard that, that, that blessed voice speaking in his ear to his heart and soul. Come near to me, you blessed. See the kingdom I bestow. You forever shall my love and glory know. He or she who has heard those words will find it impossible not to fall on their knees for the benefits received from Father's hand in spite of our own undeserving. Such a person will stand in amazement at the harvest gathered from a ground cursed by God because of our sin. Such a person will stand in bewilderment when he sees that God not only grants daily bread, but yet every day, yet so much more every day again. But above all, such a person will find it impossible to find words to express their gratitude and thankfulness for that gift of faith in Jesus Christ. They have wealth beyond compare. They have wealth that goes beyond this life. They have so much reason to celebrate and to give expression to their thanksgiving. They will take their wealth with them into all eternity. May that be the focus 
of our celebration.